welcome to another episode of Inside the Oval presented by Dignity Health. This week, I'm lucky enough to be joined by 49ers Director of Business Strategy and Analytics, Allison Liu. Allison, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Haley. First things first, what are your responsibilities as the Director of Business Strategy and Analytics? Our responsibilities in the business strategy and analytics team changes every month, every week, every day, which is what is exciting about the role. There's never really a dull moment. In general, we like to categorize what we do on the business strategy and an analytics team into four different areas. The first one would be helping the sales team keep track of ROI and sales efforts, executing sales campaigns and tracking progress across our various ticketing products and suite products. The second one would be to enhance fan satisfaction. So that comes in the form of executing surveys after game day and then in compiling and suggesting enhancements from the data in response to that feedback. The third would be maintaining the relationships with our third party concessionaires, in which case, in our case, would be uh, Fanatics on the retail side and then Levy on the concession side. And then fourthly, and probably this is the most gen- general and nebulous one, we build the brand in other ways outside of the outside of the stadium. So, you know, outside of revenues of tickets, concessions and retail, how do we build how do we make the 49ers brand known and grow it beyond our those walls? So example projects there would be 49ers Fit, which is the gym that's open in San, San Jose, the Horizon Summit Conference. Cal High, sports show, etc. The specifics projects that I'm working on now include food and beverage strategy and rolling out our member-inclusive menu this upcoming season, World Cup 2026, putting on this year's Horizon Summit, our business strategy and analytics conference, and I'm also helping with some projects with the Leeds United Football Club. Um, as you know, we've increased our ownership there as well. So it's been fun to um, to see a, see a different sport and develop those relationships. And then also Elevate Clients. Elevate is our sports consulting sister agency with the 49ers. I know you said BSA works with basically all the departments mm-hmm. and you guys analyze a lot of data through the year. Yeah. What types of recommendations have you guys been able to make using all of this knowledge that you've gleaned? Yeah, so I would say a lot of the recommendations come from our fan surveys. And so we send out a a fan survey after every single game and we ask our fans, you know, how was your experience in the stadium? And a lot of the recommendations come from the fans themselves. So I would say a good, probably a good example of one of those, one of those ideas is the member inclusive menu that we'll be rolling out in 2021. That initiative is a big one, and I wouldn't say that it was, you know, an idea that necessarily came out of BSA. I think this is an idea that, as I mentioned, was an idea that was, you know, floated by our stadium operations team, our service team, concessions team, and probably others that I'm forgetting. And to make it a reality, our BSA team went out with a survey specifically about concessions and their food and beverage experience to gather the data. And when we looked at that data, um, we saw that, you know, people would enjoy having an experience like this one where, you know, the basic food and and non-alcoholic beverages were included as a part of their ticket package. And data that we looked at not only included the survey data, but we also looked at, you know, past sales data and what people ordered, 
the purchase information to design the program as a whole. And we're excited to be rolling that out next season. I feel like you are the perfect person to ask. I took a bunch of classes where I think this was described in different ways. What makes a good survey? Interesting. I you definitely have to talk to Marco on our team to um, to really get detailed there. But I think a lot of it is actually just on the user flow and like making sure that it's easy to fill out because you are asking people for for their time and these people are very graciously giving it to us by providing their feedback. And so to make it easy to understand and make sure that you know it make the questions make sense, the follow up questions make sense, and make it short as well is it's something that I feel like has has been able to maximize engagement. Going back a little bit, you have an undergraduate degree in environmental engineering. When you were in college, what career path did you see yourself taking? Yeah, this is a horrible answer, but I had no idea. And <laughs> I, if, if anybody were to ask me, you know, what should I do in college, I'd probably be to be a little bit more intentional about this. But I had heard that, you know, engineers got jobs out of out of school and I had more of a more of a leaning towards math and science and I also like the environment so I decided to like put those together and do environmental engineering so that's what I decided to do I do not use any of that degree in my current job right now so (laughs) also message to all you guys out there as well that are struggling with your major that you can always pivot and do something else (laughs) Yeah, I second that because I don't use my history major currently. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it's uh it's very I mean, like it teaches you good skills, right? Like writing and like critical thinking and everything, but in the end the 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 actual topic probably doesn't matter as much. Absolutely. And I think coming out of college for me, I struggled because my degree wasn't in what I wanted to work in. Yeah. I really went back and forth between like get a job, get another internship, or get a graduate degree. Right. You went on to do your MBA. What went into that decision for you? Yeah. So before, I guess between um, college and and getting my MBA, I did energy and utilities consulting. So I guess I I will backtrack a little bit and say that I did use a little bit of my degree in my first job. <laughs> And so I did energy and utility consulting for about four years, and I decided that the natural step from there was to go to business school because that's what a lot of management consultants do. And so from there, I decided to transition then into sports. And so for, for someone like me who is looking to pivot totally and go in a totally different direction from what I was doing, I would say that getting a graduate degree was essential for me because... I had access to a large network of alumni who were in the sports and entertainment business, and it was easier for me to just reach out and say, like, hey, like, I'm a current student and was wondering about your experiences. And I would say a lot of those people graciously also offered their time to chat with me about their experiences. And I was also able to gain a little bit of the technical skills to set myself apart from other business school candidates who are looking for jobs in the sports arena. But I would say that, you know, for someone... Just just the question in general, like, right, like, would you recommend getting a graduate degree? It totally depends. Because I know that there are people on our team who have a graduate degree who I know will go very far. And that and there are those that don't have a graduate degree who I know will go equally far. So it it all depends on what your current situation is. But I would say for me, it was probably pretty important that I that I had access to those resources to be able to successfully pivot 
You talked about reaching out to alumni, and I think that's pivotal in the job search. Mm -hmm. Do you have for college kids now or even people looking to change jobs that are already in their careers, a cold open or a strategy that you've employed that you think makes that a little less uncomfortable? Yeah, um, I definitely have a lot of experience with this, especially during business school when I, I was I probably reached out to like, like 80 plus people over the course of a year. I would ask them for like a connection to someone else after I had finished that conversation, right? And then sort of like a, a trail that, that keep, keeps on going. But I would say that, you know, obviously have, have, have something that sort of sets you apart and like maybe you can describe, you know, why you're different from the, from the many other people that might be reaching out to you or to that person. But, but I think you would also be just pleasantly surprised with the number of people who are in sports and entertainment who are willing to just give you 30 minutes of their time because they've gone through the exact same thing, right? Like they probably had to network very heavily to get their job and they know exactly what it's like to be that person on the other end who's just trying to gather as much information to make a good decision about, you know, which team, which league, what department. And then also, you know, whether or not sports and entertainment is, is the right, is the right sort of industry to go into. During all of this, I guess when you went for your MBA, did you already know you wanted to transition into sports? I guess, when did you decide, ah, that's, that was the pivot I want to do? Yeah. I, it's always been something in the back of my mind, just, you know, throughout throughout my career, even when I was in energy and utilities consulting, I'm like, "Mm, that would be kind of fun if I did this. I had like a very initial intro call with someone that my friend connected me to that worked at the MBA. And I thought that was super cool. So I actually started seriously thinking about it the second that I got the notification that I was in, that I got into business school. And I knew that I was going to have to do something for that summer in between my first and second year. And so that's really when all of my networking started. It was even before I had stepped onto campus, I was already reaching out to people to ask them about, you know, their experiences. And I just wanted to try it for that summer. That that was my main goal. After that, I didn't know if I was going to stay in sports at all, but that was pretty much my number one goal when I, during my first year of business school, this was just to try to get some sort of internship in sports. Did you see any differences. I think for me and my perception of consulting, mm-hmm. I think like long hours, Yeah, everyone wants to work in it. Do you see similarities between getting into sports and getting into consulting? Um, definitely long hours are something that's very similar. Um, I'm sure you are very familiar with that too. I, w- I don't know if I've ever necessarily worked in a super cutthroat experience though. I think that that is also something that I think is super important that you get out of networking conversations that you don't necessarily get when you're just like, you know, throwing your resume everywhere is that you actually get to get a sense of the type of people that work in that, in that business or in that industry. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I was drawn to the 49ers was because the BSA team, like all the people that I met were, were super awesome. And I'm now lucky to realize that the people in other departments are also equally as awesome. But in terms of like the work ethic, I would say a lot of there's actually a lot of similarities between the work that I do with the 49ers and in my previous energy and consulting 
my previous energy consulting roles. It's a lot of, you know, project management, dealing with a lot of data, putting, putting all that data into one cohesive deck, presenting it to, you know, all these important stakeholders. There's actually probably more crossover than not. In presenting, was that something you were always comfortable with or have you had to work on that skill to present in front of, especially now you present in front of C-levels and up? Oh, gosh. I'm. That's actually very kind of you to think that I'm minorly good at presenting because that's definitely... You are. <laughs> I will vouch for that. <laughs> Thank you. Because um, that's definitely like a skill on my, to, uh, on my to-do list to like work work on. I think presenting is one of, I guess, one of those skills that you can never get the best at. It just sort of takes more reps. And that's actually something interesting that I've been able to capitalize on with being a part of Women Connect at the 49ers. I knew that presenting was something that I needed to get better on. And so I've been able to use opportunities in Women Connect to present. And, you know, I would, I would say that in those settings, the stakes are just a little bit lower. And so I've, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. But yeah, presenting is something that I definitely need to work on as, even now and something that I think just takes a lot of time and repetition to get right. You briefly mentioned Women Connect, which we talked. Sophie was the other guest this month, and she yes. talked a lot about the employee resource group. You are also on the board, right, of Women Connect? Mm-hmm. What have you learned from being able to step into a new role in addition to your own job? Yeah, I have loved being a part of Women Connect because I think that it has allowed me to develop relationships with women who are in departments that I typically wouldn't get to work with. And I, I guess like I typically wouldn't get to work with those women. And I think that it has taught me a lot about that sort of cross collaboration, right? That we, that we, use in BSA all the time, right? BSA is working with the marketing team, with stadium operations, with ticketing operations, and a lot of other departments in the organization. And so I think that Women Connect is like a small sort of like microcosm of that. I also think that, you know, people who are part of Women Connect are just are really passionate about topic. And I, and I think that is very inspiring for me as well to be a part of. And then it's also just about getting the message out there, right? Because I think as women in the organization have a different experience, I think it's important to have these types of employee resource groups for people that might just have a different experience than others in the organization. And to be able to provide support for those experiences is something that we get a lot of satisfaction from. I can say for myself, getting to know the women throughout the organization was so beneficial and just meeting more people and then being like, hey, like, maybe you should try this. So I think for me, I I don't know what I would have done without that resource group. I think that for men, there are more natural ways that that, that happens. One of the things that I, that I miss the most from pre-COVID is the fact that we used to wake up really early in the morning and a bunch of people from the organization would go play basketball. Patty Kwan was, was also a part of this. But Patty and I, and also Sally, were like the three women who were a part of that group. You know, I, I got to meet a lot of other people in other departments just, just through that morning group alone. And um, I really value those relationships. And like, th- these are the types of natural sort of 
networking experiences that men have that we try to recreate with the Women Connect group because it doesn't, it might not come as naturally. I actually had, we're doing like a lightning round later. Yeah. And I have one of the questions as you are known as one of the ringers in the pickup basketball game. (laughs) I did not play basketball and I heard all the time how good you were. If you were competing in a three on three, who would you tap to be on your squad? You mean besides Patty Kwan from your team? Because <laughs> Patty Kwan would definitely be on it. Um, she can drain threes from so far away. And I was usually on the receiving end of that because we would usually be against each other. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. Let's see. I would probably have to have someone who can just, like, hang out at the bottom of the post. Maybe, like, a shack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like honestly like not a, a huge <laughs> I'm not a huge um NBA follower so like I don't even know who's like the best center these days this is probably really embarrassing I feel like you Patty and Shaq would be great yeah you know what I'm gonna stick to that answer <laughs> I did want to follow up we didn't mention you went to very you know little known schools you went to undergraduate at Yale and you went to business school at Harvard mm-hmm. not only are they everyone knows those schools but they're pretty big rivals. When it gets to the time of year where it's football, basketball, who do you root for? Yale, hands down. Yeah, I think that there's just a little bit of a closer, deeper connection with your undergrad institution than your graduate school institution. But I mean, if Harvard was in like the NCAA tournament, I would, I would root for them. But got to be Yale. Makes sense. Going back to your work with the 49ers, I think something people wouldn't know is that your team has an entire workspace set up in Levi Stadium for game day, mm-hmm. and you guys monitor the entire fan experience. What is your non-COVID game day routine? Yeah, you are referring to our SAP executive huddle. And I don't have access to that room because it's a little space constrained and there are a lot of people in it. It is a cool room, though. Um, So actually, most of my pregame routine has to do with concessions because I work a lot on the food and beverage strategy. I don't know if many people know this, but for game day, we hire thousands of workers to, you know, be our guest services representatives um, for our concessions workers as well. And so some of the concessions workers are temporary and it may be their first time in the stadium. And to be thrown in front of thousands of fans is a pretty daunting task. So I have a little group in our business strategy team that walks around to each of the concession stations and makes sure that people knows how to apply discounts or ring up certain items. And then usually we mostly retreat back to our desks and catch up on work. So the long hours is really a thing, but... Sorry, that part is super boring. <laughs> no, that's really fascinating. What? How early do you need to be at the stadium in order to get everyone prepared? Yeah, so I mean, Levy has their own training team, and so most of the times, like they, most of that is covered. But you know, sometimes for for people who will be in their their first time, it's uh, it, we ju- we just walk through with we just walk through some of the basics with them. So it doesn't take a long time. It's mostly like you know checking in and five minutes per stand. So I would say we probably get there three hours before kick because the club doors open around around three hours before kick, right? So a little bit around there. You have a responsibility on game day. 
you guys are doing year-end reporting. Do you have a busiest time of year or I guess on the flip side of that, do you guys have a time when you can breathe for a little bit? <laughs> um, it's interesting because I think, you know, typically people like my friends who are not in sports, like think during the off season, I'm just like taking a vacation the entire time. Right. But I would say the off season is probably our busiest time because that's when we, that's when we can make some of the decisions that will then impact the actual season. Right. So for us, you know, once things are humming along during the season, I would say that those are less stressful times. Um, That being said, the the season is, is quite busy, but yeah, I don't like a time to breathe. Maybe that would be like those quiet hours during the game day where like, you know, that nothing like but nothing that can go wrong is might be your responsibility. So it's, it's nice to just be able to like watch, watch the game. Speaking of a time to breathe, once everyone is vaccinated, the world hopefully goes back to some normalcy. Do you mm-hmm. have somewhere you want to go? Hmm, somewhere I want to go. Um, I love Barry's boot camp and like going to the gym. (laughs) I think that going to the gym might be one of those. I know that's like super also like kind of nerdy that like once like (laughs) between like a vacation and going to the gym, I would rather go to the gym. Um, but I would say like that's probably like the, the, the routine that I miss the most. Obviously, I would love a vacation, but I think that is part of my daily routine that I have not necessarily been able to recreate because working out at home is just not the same. How has work from home been for you? Did you have space to do an entire work area that's separate from living or have you been able to kind of build a routine? Yeah, I will have to admit that when work from home first started, I really had a hard time because I've always been that person who needed to get away from like their living space in order to be productive. So like even when I was like, you know, studying for the GMAT, I would go to a coffee shop down the street or when I was in college, I would need to go to the library because I just could not do anything at my my dorm. So when COVID you know, first happened, it was a really, really rough transition for me because I just felt like I wasn't being productive and I wasn't, you know, performing to the same level. But now I think that obviously it's been a year. There are there have been adjustments that I've been able to make. And I, I think being a little bit softer on myself too, in terms of like, it's okay if I take this like little break here and it'll make me more productive in the future. Those kinds of things have helped me as well. I wish I had a photo of your desk that we could add to this episode because you have (laughs) multiple screens. Have you been able to recreate that or if you did you have to completely change your workflow once you got to working from home? Yeah, for sure. Like getting the extended monitor was one of the first things that I had to do because I, I just feel like I can... I can move boxes around a PowerPoint just way easier on a bigger screen. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely that. And then um, I think it's just honestly just getting used to working I'm in, my, in my room. I've tried moving around various places. I've discovered that the kitchen really is not the best place for me to be. So yeah, just finding spaces that have been most productive for me has helped. Another hat you wear in the organization is working, and you mentioned this earlier, is working on the Horizon Summit. Mm-hmm. And how did that event come about? And how 
far in advance do you need to start working out logistics for that event? Yeah. So I'll start with our first question. How did it come about? I think the Horizon Summit was a idea that came from Moon Javade, who is the chief strategy officer of the organization. And we, we felt that there wasn't a conference that was specifically tailored to business strategy in sports. You obviously have the MIT Sloan Analytics Conference, which is a humongous conference and it's super successful. But the topics that they focus on are very wide ranging. So it, it's from athlete performance to business strategy to also like agencies and all other things that cover just the wide umbrella of sports. And so we decided that we wanted to put on the Horizon Summit so that people in business strategy can share best practices. And we pride ourselves on the content. And it's very TED Talk style instead of like large panels. Because one of the things with panels is that like there are a lot of people speaking, and there's just not a lot of time. And so the topics that are covered are very high level. Whereas we've, th- we've decided that with individual TED Talks, where someone is on stage for 20 minutes, they can go into a lot of depth behind, you know, all the data that they've collected, what were the results of the initiatives that they've launched, and really share very deep insights so that people can take those insights away and perhaps apply it to their own team. Your second question, though, like how far in advance do we start planning? We'd love to start as soon as possible, but sometimes some other priorities get in the way. So we're just starting to work on Horizon Summit 2021, and it is coming at you this fall. It'll be virtual again. And the great thing about being a virtual conference is that we can make it free to all of those who are interested in joining. So look out for Horizon Summit 2021. (laughs) What was the challenge or was there a challenge in moving the event from in-person to last year having to take that virtual? Yeah, it was quite challenging. (laughs) I think it was, um, I think we... The Horizon Summit for 2020 was in June. And so it was still very, very early on with the, I guess, the whole virtual meetings and virtual conferences. And so there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of people that I could go to to be like, hey, like, how did you do this virtually? And what were your best practices? We just sort of had to run in a lot of different directions. And some of those directions we had to, you know, step back from and then go in a completely opposite direction. And there was a lot of iteration, but we had a great team working on it and we were really happy with how it turned out. Have you had a favorite speaker? I know you said that you guys do the kind of TED Talky mm-hmm. more than panel. Have you had someone where you came away and you were like, wow, that was amazing? Yeah, I have to um, give a shout out to Jay Riola and Anthony Perez, who they were my friends first, like I guess, sort of managers at the Orlando Magic. I had interned there. That was the internship that I got between my first and second year of business school. Jay gave a talk last year virtually about the Orlando Magic's flexible ticketing system. And I think that what they, what the Magic do with their tickets is really awesome. And they're always sort of innovating and trying to think about what, what, the, what, the, what a new season ticket member experience might be. And then Anthony gave a talk on Venue Next and you know some of the some of the cool products that they're offering. On our team, actually, um, I really loved Jesse Lovejoy's talk he gave in person in 2019. He's the head of museum and 49ers EDU, and his content was a little bit different. It wasn't necessarily the you know 
business strategy and analytics topic that most of the other speakers came with, but he was just an awesome speaker. And I just remember energy levels were a little bit low after the second day of like a lot of content and he was able to bring it back up. I wanted to finish with a lightning round. I have been calling them quick hits. And then on the last podcast, Sophie called it a lightning round. And I was like, oh, that's much better. So that's what this segment is called now. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Do you have a favorite memory as a member of the 49ers? I love taking my family on the field before the game and having them, you know, be close to the players as they run out. I, I just love seeing them excited about, you know, the job that I do. And so it's not a specific memory, but, you know, those types of experiences bring a smile to my face. Are your parents 49ers fans? Um, yes. Well, my dad has always been a football fan, and that's how I got my um, my love for football. And my mom is has become one. <laughs> With the 49ers, do you have a favorite project you've worked on? There's a lot of dimensions to think about that one on. I would say... I liked working on the CFP budget because we also got to go to the CFP championship game in Atlanta. And so that one, that was an awesome payoff for that budget, for that project. Recently, we, we did a small research project for the Leeds United football club on, on how EPL teams have been able to expand internationally. And I thought that was a cool project because we reached out to a lot of different EPL teams and asked them, you know, Hey, like what, what has worked for you? What has been your best practices? And they were super excited to talk to us and share some of their information. So again, it's, um, it, t- it speaks to the types of people who are, who are in sports and always willing to help out. You've worked on projects like Member Inclusive Menu, which has never really been done before. And then you just mentioned CFP budget, which happens somehow every year. (laughs) Is one more challenging than the other, doing something that's never been done before or taking something and improving it? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think the things that have never been done before are definitely scarier but at the same time, I think you have just more of a trust in your gut and the data that you have to say like, okay, we believe that this is going to work. And like, these are the things that we're just going to need to, to be able to execute on to, to make it successful. Whereas the things that you're sort of improving on, there might be certain, certain, I guess, preconceived notions about how it has been done in the past and therefore less innovative. And so that's like a different hurdle in and of itself. So I'm not sure if I have the answer to that question. There are challenges to both is what you're saying. Exactly. (laughs) Another thing that I am in awe of you about is your like mastery of Excel. Do you have a top trick for people who want to improve their skills there? I think everyone says like, I'm proficient in Excel, but like you're beyond that. That is also very kind of you to say. I, I am again, the, the, I am not the best person on Excel on our team, but I would say YouTube. YouTube is your friend. <laughs> if you want to learn something in Excel, just somebody else has figured it out before you, right? So just put that into the YouTube and then see see what comes out. Finally, every job posting has that other duties as a signed bullet that's always kind of ominously at the bottom. Yeah. Have you done anything that you didn't expect to in your role? Um, so I have a 
funny story behind this. So when I was little, I told my parents that I wanted to be a cashier when I grew up because I had this cashier, this cash register toy. And I just thought it was the most awesome thing ever. And I would pretend to ring people up, make change, run plastic credit cards, etc. And funnily enough, in the 2019 season, our concessionaire general manager wanted us to experience what it was like being a cashier um, in one of our food and beverage stands. So he threw a bunch of our BSA teammates behind the register and we took orders for, from people for about an hour, which was actually really awesome because I don't typically get that kind of fan interaction during a game and everyone was super nice and I really enjoyed it. But I didn't think that my dreams of becoming a cashier would actually come true one day. <laughs> On that note, though, I like you saying that brought up this image from when we did a photo shoot for a member inclusive menu where you were also a cashier. Yeah, you know, so like photo model, I guess, is maybe another thing that I didn't think I would be doing. Granted, it's not for anything high fashion or anything. But yes, there is a picture of me circulating around the internet, me handing a hot dog to Derek Sanchez. See, who knew? Childhood dreams do come true. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Aim big. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of share about your role and and how you got there. Thanks, Haley. Thanks so much for having me.